This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to speak this morning about something that I've titled The Real Power Trip. There are some things in life we don't get to define. And in our Christian walk, we don't really get to define most of that stuff God does. And sometimes we end up with definitions about what being a good Christian is all about and what a good Christian looks like. But very often those definitions have come from different people's opinions and ideas and what they believe that it should be. We have it from different denominations and we get it from all kinds of preaching and teaching and books and everything else. But I think it's important for us to realize that there's really one place, one source that really gives us the true definition of what it is that we should be looking for, and that's God himself. So let's go back and find out what it is that he's wanting to do and how he defines our walk. And as we move into that space, I think what will begin to do happen is I'm hoping to recalibrate some of what we think about things and introduce us to some new ways of living. I don't get to come up and speak to you about things that aren't very real to me. And so in this space, you, you, there's a lot of transparency that happens. Because I can bring you a whole bunch of information, or I can speak to you a little bit about where God has me and what he's doing with me in my life. And so I prefer the latter because it's just more real to me. And so... In some of what I'm going to speak about today, understand this. I'm talking to you about my journey, okay? But it's not based on my opinion. What I'm trying to do is I'm wanting to bring to you what the Word of God says. Having said that, there's no formula for things. Our Christianity is based on a relationship. A relationship is something which is robust, which is full of life. You are different to me. And so the application of truth in your life is going to look a little bit different to what it is in mine. And it should, because we don't live by a formula. So my encouragement to you today is this. I want to start to set a foundation for something that I think is so important for us. And it's going to introduce all of us to a new place in God. Walk that journey with the Holy Spirit. If some stuff unsettles a little bit, go and take it to the Holy Spirit. See what he has to say about it. And if you feel good about that, it's good. Is that okay? Okay. It's an exciting thing because I think there's some opportunities that exist for us that maybe haven't been there the way that they should have been. Matthew 10 and verse 8, I'm actually going to read it out of the Passion. You must continually bring healing to lepers and to those who are sick and make it your habit to break off the demonic presence from people and raise the dead back to life. Okay, now this is a bit you need to remember. Freely you have received the power of the kingdom, so freely release it to others. Freely you have received the power of the kingdom, so freely release it to others. This is Jesus speaking. What Jesus is saying is this. He's talking about the way that he sees us operating as Christians, little Christs in the world. And what he's saying is something that should distinguish us from the rest of the world is something called power. Power is something which is very much a part of what the Christian experience is. It's not separate from it. It's part of what characterizes it. There are a lot of religions in the world, and there's some really good religions. There are a lot of Hindus, good people, morally upright, good Buddhists, peace, love. It's what they speak about. They're good people. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we look like everybody else because we're good people. We've reduced our Christian and our Christian walk back down to something which is so generic. We're good people. And it's like, okay, so what? 
What distinguishes us is not because we're good people. I'm not saying you shouldn't be. Everybody understands that. But what distinguishes us is the fact that Christ is alive. And if Christ is alive, Christ comes with power. And what he's saying is, part of your Christian walk should be the demonstration of power in your life. What he's saying is, the expectation is, I'm giving you power, and what you have received, you should give. So listen, I'm going to say some stuff today, and just sit and say, you know what, I'm so glad that I brought my husband and my wife here, because it's obviously for them and not for me. Okay? This is as much, it, it's as much, this is more relevant to me than to you, okay? But let's be mature enough to be honest about some of this stuff, okay? We don't have enough power. Actually, let me rephrase that. We don't have power in too much of the body of Christ. If you're at a place where you're tired of praying for things, but your prayers are not answered, don't come with faith talk. Well, you know, maybe it's not there, but you know, I just keep standing and repeating. I understand all the stuff. I get the whole thing about getting the word. I get the whole thing about confession. I get the whole thing about, you know, faith. I get, I get all of the stuff. I get the principles. I got it. The fact is this. Is there a demonstration? Because if I'm doing all the stuff, but there's no transformation, if I'm doing all the stuff, but there's no life, if I'm doing all the stuff, but there's no power in the situation, there has to come a place where I look at things honestly and objectively and I sit and say, there has to be more. I know I believe in it, but can I demonstrate it? Freely you have received power. You got it. Freely give it. He's inviting us into something new. I don't, it doesn't matter where you are in your Christian work, walk today. What I'm telling you is this. The invitation that he extends to us is to step into a new reality with him. He wants us to progress forward and move into a new way and a new um, uh, reality of experiencing who he is. And maybe you're praying for some stuff and maybe you do get some results. But do you get results all the time? Maybe you've laid hands on some people and it's like, you know what, I got somebody healed. But the last 25 people I laid my hands on, nothing happened to them. There's opportunity. There's opportunity. Power is something that is part and a defining characteristic of our Christian experience. And it should be of our Christian walk because he lives so this last week, Vivian has this absolutely enormous, ridiculous mirror thing, a floor mirror, and it's got a centerpiece and a side panel and another panel and a blah, 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 all over. And so she was like, I need to I get this moved. I don't want it where it is. I want it in a separate place. So I said, Colton, come and help me move this thing. So up the stairs we go, and we're trying to fold the edges in and this edge. And, and it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's ways a little bit away. It's not the end of the world. And so we got it together, and I'm pulling it up this side, and Colton gets it down that side, and I pick it up, and we're on our way into his dressing room. And as we're on our way in, my back just goes... And I just said, stop, stop, hold on. Put the mirror down. I was like, it's kind of like somebody takes a really long needle and just goes, ee! And they don't take it out. And so every time you move, it's like, ah, ah, ah. So I pulled my back. And in that space, this is all, this is the retrospective, okay? So I'm going to tell you what happened, but this is as a result, I wasn't thinking this in the moment. <laughs> We've been talking a lot about the mind and the brain. And the mind is who I am as a spiritual being. But my default in the moment was to the brain. 
Okay, stand still, be careful. Now, okay, it's hurting. So what we need to do is let's go and sit and let's relax. Put it together. Get an Advil. Actually, maybe have two Advils. You know, ibuprofen goes right to the pleasant. It'll start to get everything sorted out. It'll get everything settled. Lie there, just relax. Get, what, I went to the brain. And there's nothing wrong with that. Except there's no power there. It's no power. So then you start going, okay, you know what? I've been taught pretty well. I know this stuff. And so you start quoting the scriptures. By his stripes I'm healed. And I know what Jesus did. And I know what he's provided for me. And I know all that he has. And I, I understand all of that stuff. And, and I'm quoting it. And I'm standing on it. I'm believing it. And I'm confessing it. And I'm speaking to it. I'm laying hands on it. And you know what happened? Nothing. No, get real now. You've got to get real. It's not to say that it didn't happen. It's not to say he didn't provide it for it. But I couldn't walk into it. Why? Because there's a place, I believe, that God's wanting to introduce us to. And we're to become power people. Not because we talk about it, not because it's part of our doctrine, not it's because we're part of charismatic or whatever you want to be. It's because it demonstrates itself through my life. And when I pray for things, things happen. And when I lay hands on things, things begin to shift and things begin to change. And when I talk to circumstances, things happen. And when I call those things that be not as though they are, all of a sudden I see movement and starts. Why? Because it's power driven. If I don't have power in my life, what have I got? Am I honestly any different to anybody else? Yeah, well, I believe in it. It doesn't matter if you believe in it. Can you demonstrate it? Freely you have been, it's been given to you. Freely give it. And in that space, I began to realize that I'm absolutely powerless to do the things that only Christ can do. We are powerless to do what only he can do. And I sit in that space, and it doesn't matter how much I try to do something so that I'm kind of coercing God to perform. But that's what we think. If I can confess it hard enough, if I can believe hard enough, if I can say certain things long enough, if I can use an extensive number of scriptures, God has to do something. Yeah, you're laughing because oh, you all did it. That's why. <laughs> I can't do. I don't. I am powerless to do what only Christ can do. And yet he says to me, freely you have received. Freely give. What he's saying is, it's available. If he tells me it's available, what he's saying is, I'm not a man that I should lie. You can take me at my word. And so we find ourselves on a journey. We're on a journey. Because if freely I've received, that's what I want. If freely I've received, it's available to me. If freely I've received, what he's saying is, it's an expectation. And so my Christian life takes on a different dimension. And I'm not trying to be good, and I'm not trying to get great attendance, and I'm not trying to read whatever. I'm on a journey and on a mission to discover who he is and how to live in the truth of what he's promised me. Yes. Yes. So it begins to shift things a little bit. And we begin to recognize that there is something in our Christian walk which makes provision for us to grow. It doesn't just happen. Jesus spent 30 years in preparation before he was baptized by John. He never did a single miracle up until that point. Nothing. Nothing. And he comes out of the water and the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What was he so pleased in? He hadn't done anything. Why was he so pleased? Because he began to understand who he was. 
And he allowed the father to define who he was. And in that space, he began to look like him. And in that place, when the Holy Spirit descended on him, the anointing came with it, and the power was available and accessible through who he was. It was because of who he was and how he had been defined by the Father. As a result of living in the love of who he was and understanding the Father, it gave definition to who he was. And as a result, it was easy for him to move into a space, both to be anointed and to live from the anointing. God's going to do something in your life. And any doctrine that says God doesn't want to shift you and change you and move you, it's wrong. It's wrong. Sorry. The first thing that happens to Saul after he gets knocked off his donkey and he comes face to face and has an encounter with God. The first thing that he does into the Arabian desert. Three years. I can't go into any desert. Sorry. I'm married. I've got commitments. I've got kids doing all kinds of stuff. I can't go into the Arabian desert. But I'm on a journey. I'm on a journey. You might not have the opportunity to be able to separate yourself for a period of time, but put yourself in a place where you recognize the fact that you're on a journey. There's an intentionality behind a journey. It's not just, I live my life and hope whatever happens, happens. There's an intentionality that sits and says, you know what? I encountered something and I'm not living the way that I used to live and I'm moving to something. So Father, you know what? Holy Spirit, come into the space and move me and shake me and change me and do some stuff on the inside of me. Because when I come out of this on the other side, I want to be a person who can freely give what I've freely received. God took Israel out of Egypt. He delivered them. And he put them into the desert. And in the desert, he was introducing himself to them. So that by the time they got to the other side, and he was going to put them into the place that he had promised to them, that they were supposed to be at a place where they sat and said, you know what? We are so full of confidence in who he is. Let's step into the blessing. And let's step into the promise that he's made available to us. But they didn't. They estimate that somewhere between two and a half to three million people left Egypt, went into the desert, and got to the promised land. Of the two and a half to three million people, two, two got in. Joshua and Caleb. The moral of the story is this. Run your race. Don't look at everybody else and what they're doing. Most people are not getting into the promised land. If that becomes your barometer for your Christian life, you're in trouble. You won't get in. You won't get. It's got nothing to do with them. It has to do with you and God. And the minute you take your eyes off that and start having a look at what other people do or don't do or how they do it or why they do it, when they do it, should they do it, shouldn't they do it, what can I do? You're looking at the wrong thing because you'll end up as a two and a half to three million who never went in. Two got in. Two got in. Run your race. Keep your blinkers on. You run your race. I'm not interested in your race. I'm not interested in where you are. I wish you all the best and you and God. Hey, glory be. I'm all about it. But the fact of the matter is, I can't be swayed by who you are and what's happening in your life. You do not become the guide and the influence, the direction and the purpose for where I'm going. We're on a race. God loved you so much that while you were still a sinner, he sent Christ. And the reason that Christ came was so that you could enjoy relationship with God. Not only did he introduce us to relationship with God, but he left us a wonderful package called grace. Grace is everything that you need to be able to experience the fullness of the Christian life. You don't need to do anything to make that experientially happen. No, that's not true. The gift that Jesus has given to us of grace has made full provision for everything that you need. The grace is free, but maturity is expensive. The grace is free, but maturity is expensive. 
Maturity is all about coming to that place where I sit and say, you know what? I'm not trying to do what Jesus has done for me. Every part of grace always goes with an invitation. You don't just walk along the street and all of a sudden I got born again and I don't know how it happened. It's an invitation. But it looks for a response. It's available. It's available to everybody. But what are you going to do with it? Keep your blinkers on. I don't care what anybody else does. What are you doing? Ultimately, you're going to get to the place where God's going to sit and say, tell me what you did with Jesus. Well, you know, in my household, I don't care. What did you do? Well, you know, in, in our society, don't care. What did you do? He's provided everything. So the Holy Spirit is working with us. And what he's doing is he's sitting saying, everything that you need to be the fullness of who I've created you to be is available through grace. And he's going to do a work on the inside of us that's bringing about change and transformation in us. Why? Because I'm separating myself. I'm stepping into my 30 years. I'm stepping into my three years where I'm allowing him to do some stuff on the inside of me. Why? Because when I come out of this, I want to be a person that not only recognizes, but that demonstrates the power. He is the only one who can do that. I can't do it. I can't do it. Be holy as I am holy. I'm going to say something now that I believe, but please, please hear the context of it. We're always in trouble if we develop a pet doctrine and run off with it. We're to have a holistic and complete doctrine. Okay? Take the full word of God, not part of it. You'll end up unbalanced. I think one of the most destructive and dangerous things that has happened to the body of Christ in recent times is a misapplication of the love and grace doctrine. I'm all about God's love for us. Glory be. We'd be in a lot of trouble if he didn't love us. But love is not indulgent. I love my kids and I love them so much that you know what? I sit and I work with them and I sit and say, no, you don't eat ice cream for breakfast. Not a good idea. Nothing good is coming of this. I'm not a bad parent and I'm not unloving because I sit and give them direction. I'm not unloving because I'm not indulgent. I'm loving because I look and sit and say, I can see the end result of that decision and it's not good. So I'm letting you know at the outset, let's do some other things. Let's take some corrective action here. Let's adopt a different way of handling that stuff. Why? Because I want you to realize a full, healthy, successful future. It's not going to happen that way. That's love. The problem with the, the, the distortion of the grace message is that Jesus has done everything and you have to do nothing. That's the problem. We've developed a church that's apathetic. And you know what? We play with the things that we shouldn't be playing with. We indulge some stuff because it's all covered by grace. That's not what the message is. He loved you so much and he provided grace for you so that you can step into the fullness of who he's called you to be. He didn't sit and say, I'm going to allow that to come into your life so it gives you license to behave any way you want to behave. Part of the fullness of stepping into his message is sitting saying, you know what? I appreciate your love and I live in the space of your love. I want to thank you for your grace and the full provision that Christ has made for me. Hallelujah. Thank you. I I live life of a superior nature because of all that Christ has made available to me. But there are other things like holiness. Sanctification. Conform to the image of Christ. There are things that form a part of the equation. The problem with it is part of the reason I believe that the church doesn't demonstrate power is because power comes at a price. You will fill the church if you want to speak about love and grace, but you want to give a message about sacrifice. Ow! 
Get behind me, Satan. Don't put me into condemnation. I'm joking about it, but I'm serious. I'm serious. Because the problem with it is we haven't taken a body, which is the body of Christ, and migrated them to a place where we're moving more to his image and what he's all about so that we can reflect what's being gifted to us to the world. We don't have it because we're not in that space. And we have no appetite for going there because you're just putting conviction on me. All those other churches, not us. Just sit comfortably. (laughs) Bill Johnson has a wonderful quotation. He says, most Christians repent enough to be forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. Most Christians repent enough to be forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. Repentance is all about changing your mind. Not changing your thinking, changing your identity. And when I allow Christ to come into that space and begin to do some stuff, it'll begin to shift and change who I am. You see, there is a difference between me and Christ and Christ in me. For me to be in Christ is for me to find my purpose in the body of Christ. For Christ to be in me is for Christ to find his purpose in my body. It's a big difference. One is situational and the other one is experiential. The moment you got born again, you were put into the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, everything and the fullness of Christ is available to you. But you're not perfect. It's available. Grace is always an invitation. The question is now that you're in the body. Do you want the body to be born in you? And so the journey that we take with the Holy Spirit is a journey of change. You see, the Holy Spirit is working with us because what he's doing is he is showing us and he's in the process of addressing those areas of our life that generate doubt and undermine our faith. Aspects to who we are. He's busy doing that stuff so that we can steward the power. He's changing us. I believe that the cost to carrying the power is allowing the Holy Spirit to bring about change and transformation in our life. That's what it's about. It's not because it's a works program and I'm trying to do some stuff. It's not because I'm trying to earn the right to carry it. It's not because I'm trying to manipulate God and make God feel a sense of pressure to have to give me power. It's moving to a space where I surrender to the Holy Spirit and I say, Holy Spirit, I want you to do some stuff in me and change me so that I can move into a place where I can begin to embrace, hold on to, and experience the fullness of what you have. I want to thank you for the power that comes with that. He's changing us. He's changing us. One of my favorite stories is in Acts chapter 9. And it's just so pertinent to where we are now because I think like a lot of the body of Christ, Saul was kind of like the superhero of the church of that day. It was like, if you wanted somebody to come and preach in your church, you wanted to get Saul to come and preach he, he, in the temple. Because he, he knew everything. He, he was so well educated. He was so well versed. He understood the word inside out. He, he knew all of that stuff. If you wanted somebody to write a good Bible study course for you, you would go and ask Saul. He would put that together for you in an instant. If you needed good counsel, go and get hold of Saul. If you wanted somebody on your church board, get hold of Saul. 
He knew everything. He understood. He was respected in, in the community, in the religious community. He got his way in the religious community with things that he wanted to do and he needed authority and they would give it to him every time. Why? Because he was so well revered in that space. He understood. He understood the scriptures so well. And yet he was so deluded. So deluded. Anytime we take the things of God and we try to live with them from our brain or our head, we run the risk of interpreting them the way that we want to. And you can lose direction. So he's walking along and he's on a mission. And in verse 4, it says he had an encounter with God. He had an encounter with Christ. I'm not too concerned about like what happened in the light and all. It, that's, not, that's not what's consequential. What's consequential here is this. You had something which was so poignant, which was so powerful in his life. It was so insightful that in that very moment, it, it touched the very core of his being, the essence of who he was. And as he had that encounter, he moved to a place where the foundation of his life and everything that constituted who he was, everything was thrown overboard. The total focus of his life changed. And in that moment, he reached a place where he said, what have I been doing? It was an encounter. In that place, everything that he had learned, he threw overboard. He says, that's rubbish. What he was saying was, all this time I've been living from my understanding of who God is. All this time I've been living from an interpretation of who he is. But I moved into the space and I met him. And when he met him, he said, nothing, nothing could give me this. Once you meet him, you're not happy and satisfied knowing about him. I want to know him. It's too late. I've met him. I don't want to hear your verse. I don't want to hear your interpretation. I'm not interested. Do you know him? You've got to get to that place. You may not have the light shining from heaven. You may. I don't know. Because there are people who did. A.A. Allen had it. There were people who did. But maybe you're just an ordinary person. I guess. I don't know. It doesn't have to come with the drama. It doesn't have to come with the theatrics. Maybe it will. And if you do have it, yes, I'll be jealous. <laughs> but you've got to meet him. Because until you meet him, you live with everything that you know. Everything that I understand. All my interpretation. But there's no life. It was in that moment. It was in that encounter. It was when Paul, knowing everything, met him and said, the focus of my life has just changed. Everything has shifted. I don't care about anything anymore. All I want to do is to know him and the power. I want to know him and the power. I want to know him and the power. If you don't know him, you don't get the power. It's not coming from what you know or you understand or your doctrine or your dogma or whatever denomination you belong to. Irrelevant. Have you met him? Well, I don't know. Maybe I have. You haven't. If you have to ask, you haven't. Could it have been? No. When you meet him, you know it. When you meet him, you know it. There's no, I wonder, could it have been? No, you didn't. It's not a criticism. Please don't take it that way. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to encourage you to pursue the encounter. What I'm trying to encourage you to do is to recognize the fact that he's looking for the moment. We think that God's so interested in what we know. This is going to shock you, and I'll, 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 I'll give you evidence of it. He doesn't care. You think you have to be perfect before God uses you. Not interested. He wants to know, did you meet me? 
There are so many instances. If you read about, I'm talking about relatively recent people, the Wigglesworth, Hagens, people who did incredible miracles, people who had the power, people who had the encounter. And if you have a look at some of their doctrine nowadays, we would look at it and say, well, he was off base. God doesn't care. What happens in your head is not as important as your heart and who you are. And did you engage him? What happened in that space was so vital and was so pivotal that in Saul's life, in that moment, everything shifted. And he recognized, I'm an idiot. I spent my life living from my brain. I spent my life trying to understand God. And when I moved to that space where I encountered him, it didn't matter. He shifted the way that he lived his life. So suddenly it's not about any of this stuff, but this was so real. And in that space, there was a huge shift that took place. And all of a sudden, the goal of my life was to become the source of my life. The ambition that I tried to attain to know him and the power of his resurrection was to become the foundation of who I was. It changed him and made him a totally different person. He shifted from a place where it used to be my world was defined by me and my knowledge and my know-how and my tradition and my everything else. Now, all of a sudden, my world is defined by relationship with him. And in that space, there is a dynamic called revelation. All of a sudden, there are impartations that take place on the inside of me, which transcend and supersede anything that can happen in my head. I live from a place where I used to control my world because it was all about me, my abilities and my knowledge and my understanding and my know-how. And I began to recognize how immaterial and inconsequential that is when it comes to kingdom living. And you move into a space where suddenly influence is defined by Christ living on the inside of me by faith. Faith is what gives me influence in spaces. I begin to change. Part of the dynamic and part of what is so interesting about change is it moves you from a place of being comfortable in control to being comfortable in dependence. Back in the good old days when they first invented airplanes, and you decided that you wanted to become a pilot. You went out and you studied and you did whatever you had to do and they put you in the cockpit and they said, off you go! And you flew. But those were the good old days. Now you study to be a pilot. And although you are in the cockpit and although you sit in the pilot seat, you just don't get to fly the plane. The computer flies the plane. It's our Christian walk. Our Christian walk is coming to the place where we recognize, do you know what? In this space, I can do some stuff, but I can't do it the same way he can do it. Take your fingers, take your hands off the controls. What do you want to do? Oh, but you don't understand. Christianity is so detached from my everyday life. You know, it might be good for people and it might be nice in church and it might be, but it's, it's not, it has no relation to me when it comes to my business setting. What about me on the sports field? What about me in my marriage? Raising my kids? I mean, it's nice for church stuff, and you, you guys enjoy it out there. It's about transformation. It's about a different way of living. It's a different paradigm. I'm not for a moment suggesting that God didn't give you a brain for a reason. Use your brain. There are places to use it. 
and you still have to live on the earth. Don't be, this is never a license to be a moron. Please don't be a moron. <laughs> but it doesn't guide my life because power is not coming from there. Power is coming from him. And him meeting me means I have to get into my mind, which is who I am in the spirit. Yes. Me inside of myself. That's why when God speaks to me, I feel it in here. It's not because I had a thought up here and I've been considering it and I think I've got a great idea. I'm learning to differentiate between a path that I follow in my thinking, in my reasoning that leads me to a conclusion and moving to a place where sometimes I'm just moving along and there's something that happens on the inside of me. And it's like, where did that come from? Him. But I'm learning to be sensitive to it. I'm learning to respond to it. I'm learning to do some stuff because it's a different paradigm. I'm living in a different dimension because I want to walk into the fullness of what he's provided for me. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea, all the places. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me. I want you to see two things there. Number one, the start of everything is being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus never had power until the Holy Spirit descended on him. When the Holy Spirit descended on him, all of a sudden, he moved in, into a dimension where he experienced the anointing and he was able to evidence the power. It's the same in our lives. Everything starts with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the source of power. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit is like getting your house connected to the electric grid. Yes. Yeah. Suddenly you have access to electricity. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to use it. If you want to experience electricity, you've got to stick some appliances into the plug. So once we're baptized in the Holy Spirit and we have power, what we do is we move to a place where we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to introduce to us things like the gifts of the Spirit. Gifts tap into power. What, what's important for me is the second part of this. You will receive power so that you will be witnesses to me. You will be witnesses to me. You don't witness for Christ because I'm a nice person. I don't witness to Christ just because I go and congratulate a whole bunch of people. I don't witness to Christ because I come to church. I don't witness to Christ just because I wear, I'm carrying around a donkey choker Bible. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is what differentiates you and when you go out and you want to witness for me, it should be characterized by Three of us were listening. <laughs> Power! That's the goal. That's the invitation. That's the ambition. That's the life of the Christian. Our testimony to him should be characterized by power. When we walk into situations and we introduce people to Christ, what are we introducing them to? Our doctrine or power? Power. The light of the world. The light of the world runs on electricity. Light. It's power. It's what lights and illuminates everything. What he's saying is, I love you so much, but really I'm just wanting to use you to advertise me. Yeah. Yeah. If you're advertising yourself as being a good replica of me, thanks a lot, but hold on. Just stick that one in the back closet. What I'm looking for is I'm looking for you to allow me to advertise myself through you. Because when I do it, it comes with power. Yes. Sometimes we don't feel, it, it moves us to a space 
where what becomes so consequential as a first step moving forward is developing that relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is going to begin to speak to us in our lives. And he's going to talk to you about where you are and what is happening in that space. And he's going to illuminate some stuff to you. And he's going to invite you into changing some things. I don't know what it looks like in your life. And I'm glad you don't know what it looks like in mine. (laughs) But it doesn't matter. Run your race. It's about you. The point is this. Sometimes we think that the Holy Spirit isn't going to speak to us because we don't feel worthy. I've got some wonderful news for you. God doesn't speak to you because you're worthy. God speaks to you because you're hungry. God doesn't speak to you because you're worthy. He speaks to you because you're hungry. Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Seek, seek, seek. What is it saying? There's an intentionality behind it. It's somebody who sits and comes to a place where they sit and say, you know what? I don't know what it takes, but whatever it is, I'm prepared to give it because I want to hear from him. The commitment is I'm 100% sold out. Seek first says two things. Number one, seeking first the kingdom is the priority. But the other side to it is it's also the first step. Seeking is the first step. If I don't seek, he's not just going to rain it on me. Matthew, I think it's five verse six. It says, blessed, I think it's five verse six. Yes, I'm right. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They shall be filled. They shall be filled. What is it saying? How hungry are you for the things of God? How hungry? God responds to hunger. The Holy Spirit is responsive to hunger. The wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit is this. Those areas of our life that leave us falling short of the glory of God are the areas he's come to introduce us to Christ. The glory of God speaks about the presence of the person of Christ. And every area of our life that isn't defined by him, the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit is he's sitting saying, you know what, let me, let me give you an introduction. That's what he's doing in our life. He's shifting and he's changing us. Over the next few weeks, I want to talk about some things that have resonated with me. And they're going to be a little bit challenging, some of the things. But thank goodness we're all so mature. Hey. <laughs> Remember this. The invitation's always take it into your own space with the Holy Spirit. And see what he says to you about it. And if he says, hey, you're in a good place, glory be. Power. Power. That is what needs to characterize the church. We've got to get back to that space. Because in that place, it's nothing of me, but it's everything of him. Anytime I can do some stuff, I don't need God. It's when you come to that place where you sit and say, I'm powerless to do the things of Christ. That's the exciting place. When you come to the perimeter of what you can do and your capabilities and your knowledge and your understanding and your control, when you come to the very limit and you sit and say, fine, at this place, I'm moving beyond here. Not because of what I'm capable of doing, but because of what he can deliver. That is an exciting Christian living. That's what will wake up the world. Not because we're really nice people. But we are. Well, Donna, you you have your moments. You have your moments. I can say that because she's my favorite. I'm pretending I never heard that. 
Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And he's looking to get out in who you are. The Holy Spirit is going to lead you in that space. Your homework for the week is this. Get out of your brain. Get into your mind. And in that space, begin to explore and entertain the Holy Spirit. And see what happens in that. Why don't you all bow your heads. Father, I want to thank you for an incredible bunch of people. I thank you for uh, 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 world changes. I thank you for what you're doing on the inside of us. I thank you for the change and the transformation. I thank you for the shifting and the shaking, Holy Spirit. I want to thank you that you're changing the focus of our life so we're not as consumed or focused on things that don't lead us to life. I pray for encounters this week. I pray for encounters this week, Holy Spirit. Every person that's out there right now and who's hungry for you, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to meet them in a way that is transformational. Leave them in that space so they will know that they've met you. I thank you for blessing and fullness and wholeness, completion. In Jesus' name.